Nikki Gentile is a pianist and an author of short stories. There's a long prologue to open her collection, The Jazz Girl, The Piano, and The Dedicated Tuner, where she lays out the real-life background of the story, wanting us as readers to know that these amazing things involving pianos and piano tuners actually happened. She, for example, is Nina Somerville, the main character. What's important for us is the way she talks about pianos. One day, Nina purchased a piano, an exquisite baby grand. Twenty years previously, a chance discovery had given her the opportunity to play on a Steinway for the first time in her life. Blessed with a sensitive ear, she had truly savored the pure sound of this beautiful instrument, which seemed to sing to her like no other piano. It was an experience that was to leave an indelible trace on her auditory memory, inciting her to make a crucial decision. If ever she were to buy a piano, it would be a Steinway or nothing. This was her little private joke, her personal fantasy, which she reasonably presumed would remain so for the entirety of her days spent on this planet. Then a miracle occurred. A set of totally unexpected, extraordinary circumstances provided her with the means to buy the very piano of which she hitherto could only have dreamed. This was just one of the many magical moments that music would bring to her over the years, moments imbued with such a fairy tale like quality that from that day forward she would privately attribute them to the god of music, Apollo. For what possible explanation could there be other than that for such amazing events to occur, a force greater than ours must be at work. In a bid to strike while the iron was hot, she immediately started inquiring about all types of Steinway pianos, and once she had carefully measured the designated space in her sitting room, opted for a Model S, the smallest baby grand. Then, in order to test it out, she arranged an appointment for the following Saturday morning. As she, her children, and her husband entered the shop, Nina introduced herself. Bonjour, Madame Somerville, replied the salesman. The Model S is just over here. Yesterday, when we heard you were coming to test it, we had it tuned specially for you. They'd had it tuned specially for her? She thought she must be in a dream. When she saw the piano, it was love at first sight. The instrument was absolutely beautiful, so truly magnificent that she scarcely dared to touch it. She simply wished to admire it, to venerate it. After a few minutes of standing there motionless, she nevertheless managed to sit down and play some bars of soft, bluesy music. The resulting sound made it hard for her to believe that these melodies were actually emerging from beneath her fingertips. Just to be sure, she went all around the shop and tested a number of pianos. But the Steinway, with its purity, a clarity of sound which so many years previously had made such an impression on her, kept enticing her back. Continuing her inquiries, she finally arrived at the end of her long list of questions, and once everything seemed perfectly clear to her, 
was at last able to sign the documents relating to the purchase of this magnificent instrument. Only then did she realize that she had been a good three hours in the shop. The time had literally flown by. Life was really good that day in Paris, and even more so when a few days later the piano was delivered to her home and installed in the designated space, a space that seemed absolutely perfect for this new addition to the family, right in the middle of the sitting room. Once again, before daring to touch it, she spent a long time simply contemplating her instrument and, pausing to reflect on its appellation, Baby Grand, suddenly understood for the very first time the juxtaposition of these apparently contradictory words. She had just acquired the smallest grand piano available, the baby, and yet it was indeed grand in every sense of the word. During the days that followed, Nina took time to become acquainted with her beautiful new piano, delighting in the many nuances of its profoundly rich sound. A few days later, when her teacher arrived for her weekly lesson, they were like two excited children at Christmas. Just like his student, the teacher spent a long time admiring the beauty of the instrument before sitting down to test it. Then he began, somewhat hesitantly, by playing a Chopin waltz, following it up with a few jazzy improvisations. He was undeniably a very accomplished pianist, capable of switching with the greatest of ease between classical music and jazz. And that day, he remained seated at the piano for a good 20 minutes, saying at the end of each piece, oh, just one more and, and then I'll stop. Clearly, he was finding it hard to give up his place, which did not bother Nina in the slightest. Admittedly, it was her lesson, but she was absolutely thrilled to be able to listen to the beautiful sound of her piano, all the while observing the immense pleasure that this very sound was bringing to her teacher. When finally she did begin her lesson, her teacher, as if to intensify the auditory pleasure of the musical moment, kept his eyes firmly closed to listen to her play. Moreover, Although usually extremely rigorous and demanding, that day he accepted absolutely anything. After all, what did it matter if her improvisations were good or bad? Everything seemed to sound beautiful to him, including the numerous wrong notes. Ultimately, it was not really a day for a piano lesson. It was a day for getting to know a magnificent instrument held by both teacher and pupil alike in awe and admiration. Words of Nikki Gentile from her autobiographical short story, The Jazz Girl, The Piano, and The Dedicated Piano Tuner, a collection of stories. We are about to meet two remarkable individuals who actually worked in and among such remarkable musical instruments for most of their careers. And as we'll learn, as professional as they were in doing their jobs, they experienced firsthand the kind of magic Nikki Gentile described, each one remembering what it was like as a little one taking piano lessons, bowing after spring recitals perhaps, and ultimately helping to make the kinds of matches seemingly made in heaven that Nikki Gentile cites as changing her life. It's almost like a movie scene or a scene in a short story, the way that the two colleagues were inspired 
by just such a young pianist's recital to try to capture and share that kind of enchanting, stirring experience for children. So deeply did Sally and Peter believe in the power of music in the lives of children, in the lives of us all, they began their collaboration, drawing into what was now becoming a trio artist, Laura Friedman. The result, Henry the Steinway and the Piano Recital, an acclaimed children's book marking its 20th anniversary. The book tells of Henry the Steinway, a magical piano with a warm and comforting personality. Anna is about to give her first recital, but she's struggling. Henry offers sage advice and timeless wisdom to Anna, and he becomes her very special friend. Henry the Steinway and the Piano Recital was first published in 2002. The book's popularity was such that the authors released two more titles, Henry the Steinway, A Star is Born, and Henry the Steinway Tours the World. Over 100,000 copies of these books have been sold. To celebrate the 20th anniversary of its initial publication, Henry the Steinway and the Piano Recital has just been reissued. In addition, Beijing Science and Technology Press has now translated and printed all three titles for audiences in mainland China. Sally Kovaleski is a native of Scranton and a graduate of Marywood. She served as the National Director of Institutional Sales at Steinway & Sons in New York for over 25 years. Peter Goodrich also worked for Steinway for more than 25 years, and he was best known as the Vice President of Concert and Artist Activities Worldwide. Laura Friedman is an artist and illustrator in New York who has worked for over 20 years as exhibit developer and designer at the Yale Peabody Museum of Natural History. To mark the reissue of Henry the Steinway and the Piano Recital, we had a chance to sit down with Sally Kovaleski here at the WVIA studio as she returned to Northeastern Pennsylvania. And we connected by phone with Peter and Laura to learn more about this very special piano project. And Sally does the honors. Please let me introduce you to my colleagues. First on the line is Peter Goodrich talking to us from somewhere in the Carolinas. And Peter and I worked together at Steinway & Sons for many years. He was the Vice President of Concert and Artist Activities Worldwide for Steinway & Sons. And also joining us is Laura Friedman, who is the illustrator of Henry the Steinway. And she's talking to us from her studio on the Upper West Side of New York. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Peter, let's start with you. Give us, if you would, your sense of how the book came about. Well, we, we tended to work late at Steinway, and one night we were literally at the water cooler on the second floor at Steinway, and we started talking about pianos and how pianos have personalities. And at the same time, there was probably a piano recital going on down in the rotunda at Steinway Hall. But Sally and I talked about the fact that we had both considered writing a book about pianos. We didn't really have a storyline, I don't think, at that point. But we had thought about writing a book about pianos and talking, as we did, about the personalities that pianos can have. We thought that it might be fun to just start coming up with ideas for a book and my recollection is that is how it all began. 
Sally may have a better memory than I do, but uh, we then started coming up with ideas as to how to create a story. And then we figured out that we needed an illustrator to make the the story and, and the character of Henry the Steinway come to life. And that's where Laura comes into the picture. Now, Laura, Sally was able to give us a sense of your range as an artist. The story is, if you're doing work, say, on an octopus, I understand. Yes. How is it that you all came to link up? Well, Sally and I had become good friends. We met actually on jury duty, oddly enough, and we discovered quickly that we had a lot of a lot in common, a lot of interests in common. We both had also Polish mothers, and we're both interested in amber, ballet, music, and we lived nearby. So we had become quite good friends by the time this idea hatched between Peter and Sally. And so Sally knew that I made artwork of different kinds different, very strange kinds sometimes. (laughs) But Sally and I were talking the other day, and I had, early on when I had just gotten out of college, I was living in Boston in a very inexpensive place, and I managed to save a little bit of money with the idea that I was going to take six months and just paint. I was just going to paint whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And so there I was in my studio with the six months and the clock ticking, and I had not a single idea in my head as to what I should paint. And it was really, really frustrating. I mean, that happens sometimes when you're when you're making artwork is you just run out of ideas for a little while. And so after a while of feeling very frustrated and anxious about the clock ticking, I started doodling. And I started doodling a lot. And I started making all these little drawings of whimsical little characters with funny hair and pointy noses and things like that. And this turned into a whole little portfolio of drawings. And my six months ran out, and I had this little portfolio of drawings, which I then put away and did nothing with for a long time, and went back to painting and working and, and, and all of that. And so when Sally approached me about doing this book, I pulled out these drawings that I'd done years before and showed them to Peter and Sally, and, and they seemed to like them, and they seemed to have the whimsical quality that we were looking for in this children's book. And it just it just all kind of came together very fluidly and quickly, and it was really wonderful And the other aspect of this project that was interesting to me is by the time we did this book, I'd been working for many years in natural history museums and doing this, as Sally mentioned, the octopus project, but there have been a lot of other projects which involved studying plants and animals and doing very accurate reconstructions of things, frequently in three dimensions and dioramas and things like that. But there, there was always a lot of attention to detail and accuracy, and that also came into play in this project because the piano had to look like a Steinway, you know, and Carnegie Hall had to look exactly like Carnegie Hall. And so it was really drawing on some of that experience that I'd had as well, of really looking at things in, in detail and presenting something in a very accurate way as well as a playful and whimsical way. And what was the reaction when Laura pulled out the portfolio and you saw these whimsical characters that she'd been working on? Sally, what did you think? We felt excited about them because they they were exactly what we had imagined. Actually, they were even they were even better than what we had, we had even thought they could better, be. Better than I would say, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first the first iteration of Henry the Steinway was almost exactly right. He needed a little bit of softening, but the face was modeled after our dear friend Henry Z. Steinway. Mr. Steinway was the great grandson of the founder of Steinway and Sons, and he was a great presence in our lives and uh, we wanted to do something like this to honor him and Laura having met Mr. Steinway was able to capture his image very beautifully. 
that part wasn't really a struggle. Actually, um, what was wonderful about this project, it seemed like very little about it was a struggle. It just kind of, when uh, Sally and Peter gave me the story, I just, there are times when, when there are struggles, like six months of not being able to paint. But then there's other times when something just comes to you, and this just kind of flowed out really naturally. And as soon as they started describing the character, I started seeing it in my head of Henry, the Steinway. And at first I was thinking about how am I going to put a face on a piano, and it just I just started drawing it, and it, it played out very simply somehow. And Laura's characters, uh, Anna and all of the kids in the book, and the teacher and the folks at the factory, she she really nailed it with their with their likenesses. And she even got our dog, our basset hound, and, you know, she met the dog. She met Molly, and Laura met Molly, but she got all of the nuances of a basset hound's <laughs> characteristics so perfectly. It was unbelievable, really. We know that friendship is certainly a theme in the story, and it's not just Henry and Anna who are friends, but we certainly get the sense that Molly and Anna are friends, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. And Molly is quite a critic, actually, of Anna's playing in the book, <laughs> which is not uncommon with Basset Hounds either. They're very sensitive. They have very sensitive ears. And so did you get the manuscript that they had produced and work from that, or did you all work together? I would say we all worked together, but I did get the manuscript first. I mean, there were some slight adjustments that we made, possibly, but first I got the manuscript, and then we sort of broke it up into which pages would be illustrated, which images would we want to create, and um, we storyboarded it. And then I, I think, I, I don't remember, Sally and Peter, if we really changed any of the writing. I'm, I'm not sure that we did. I think that once we had our storyboard, it, it just sort of fell That's into place, right. I think. I agree. I agree. We knew we had 32 pages that had to be laid out. And when you take the story, which you're right, which of the aspects of it were going to be drawn, and that was that was certainly an important part of it all. I'm curious about artistic choices, for example, sensitivity to the environment, the springtime, the rain, and looking at the notes, the musical notes that were swirling and the rain that was falling, and it looks like there's just such a reflection, a mirroring in a certain way of the world inside and the world outside. I think we have to give Laura a huge amount of credit for creating an atmosphere in this book through her wonderful illustrations. I mean, the the words obviously are important, but Laura's wonderful drawings really created, I think, an atmosphere of the time and the sensibilities of trying to play the piano and with all that's going around you in the in the outside world. It's pretty remarkable, I think. There's a scene where Anna has to face up to it. She's got to go practice, and Molly's there. It's a two-page spread. Anna hung her dripping slicker in the hall closet and placed her muddy boots on the mat. So she's got her music under her arm, and she's heading for the Steinway without Henry's face, and Molly's standing there with a paw up, and Mm -hmm. it's a long walk to the piano, and you feel (laughs) that Anna in no way wants to practice it's not the march to the scaffold. It's, <laughs> it, it, almost. But the illustration gives us that sense. There's no words. It's just all there. And then this is a portrait of a Steinway before the Steinway morphs into Henry the Steinway. As again, Laura's great attention to every detail is apparent. As she said, she was trained as an artist to observe detail in nature, and it's, it's clearly evident. It's beautiful. 
Sally and Peter, when you opened the book, when it came and you, you saw it, could you, or as you were going along, could you hear the sound of Henry the Steinway? Did you, in your ears, do you know what Henry sounds like? I, I, I think we, yeah, I think we do. I, I think we do have that sound. And one of my favorite parts of the book is actually is when Henry talks to Anna and he tells her that she's got to sing the music to feel it within herself. And the, and the particular picture where Anna is singing at the keyboard and Henry is smiling because he thinks, oh, she's getting it, you know. I, I thought that was really, that's, that's a favorite, favorite part of mine in the book. We were talking about the theme of the heart and where it comes from inside, where music comes from inside. Is there a reason you chose for Elisa? Is it just that it's a typical piece a child would play or children would know? I think it's a piece that, that lots of kids play or try to play when they're studying. And it's just, it's natural, I think, for early piano students to be to be working at that. It just was a natural, I think. I, re- I remember playing it. Do you, Peter? Yes. I, yes, I, of not, course. Not, I don't remember playing it well, but no. I remember playing it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having a counting problem. So instead of da-da-da-da-da-da, it was da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I couldn't we can't play it the way Long Long can play no. it. <laughs> now, getting to Long Long, there are wonderful endorsements of your book, and we were going to talk about some of those. Peter, you were you were someone who has some good stories to tell. Well, we when we decided that we wanted to feature some endorsements or testimonials of the book, we thought, you know, we should go to pianists, but not only to pianists. We should go to other musicians as well. And I would say virtually every pianist that we approached and musician was very enthusiastic about the book and and happy to give us a a quote. But we wanted to show that the book was useful and instrumental in all kinds of music. And therefore, we have singers and trumpeters and conductors, uh, as well as pianists, who have really given us some wonderful statements about the book and, and what it means to them. Peter, do you remember after we, we got this wonderful note from Renee Fleming, Henry the Steinway sent her a bouquet of uh, white roses backstage to the Met one time when she was she was performing. And you and I, of course, showed up backstage and we talked a little bit about Henry the Steinway. And she wanted to tell us how meaningful Henry was to her because it reminded her so very much of her own teacher who had recently passed away and she felt this this wonderful wonderful connection to Henry because of that and said that the book would always remain remain by her by her piano and uh, I found that to be one of one of my favorite although each one of them are are special special notes but I liked very much what Miss Fleming had to say about Henry the Steinway. As we know, Steinway pianos are a worldwide phenomenon, and so is your book. What about when you all saw that the book was taking off in China this round? Maybe not a surprise because you've told us, Sally, about the way Chinese children are studying piano. I- piano. Absolutely. It's a great passion in China. And there are there are more than 40 million children taking piano lessons in China right now, as opposed to 10 million combined around the rest of the world. So it is it is a great passion. And uh, there are so, so many children that parents very much want to give their child as many skills as they can. But piano rises, rises above all of them, I believe. 
I asked Sally about her experience overall at Steinway. So now, Peter, what are some of the things that you might have come away with having spent so much time at Steinway? My my time at Steinway really started in, in retail, but I worked in retail customer service. And for the last 20 years at Steinway, I was in, in the concert and artist division. I think the thing I come away with most from that is an understanding about the piano and how it is the pianist that creates his or her own sound when when they play and it's a very individual thing it's it's a unique instrument in the sense that the person who is playing has the ability to control the sound in so many different ways that i think in, until i had the experience at steinway working with many artists and many many pianos i didn't really have a good understanding about the fact that that the artist is the one who can actually create the music in an individual way, which is why we have a book about pianos and their personalities, and each piano has a different personality, as each pianist does. Um, But the personality of the piano is something that we wanted to come through in this this series of books that we've written, and I, I I think that message does come through. Uh, Peter, earlier on, Erica asked me a question that you probably could have answered a little bit better than I did, and it was about pianos and pianists and their very favorite pianos and what what makes that connection. Do you have any, any story like that? Well, we, we had a, at, at Steinway a concert basement in which all of our concert pianos were housed, and pianists would go down often and try the pianos, select a piano for a particular concert or recording or a tour, and it was pretty much understood by the pianists that the pianos were individuals and had their own personalities. In fact, there are piano technicians who believe so strongly in the fact that pianos have their own personalities that they believe piano X should not be situated next to piano Y because their characteristics are so different. <laughs> but when pianists go down to the basement or went down to the basement in Steinway Hall, they would try these pianos and they would try to determine the nature of the characteristic of the piano for them and for the circumstance in which they'd be playing. So it, it wasn't uncommon for pianos and pianists to develop a bond between them. And that's what Henry the Steinway tries to do, is to tell Anna that she can create a bond with every piano that she comes upon. Not necessarily, you know, it doesn't have to be Henry the Steinway every time, but uh, every piano that she approaches, she can connect with in a musical way. And that's one of the messages, I think, in in our books. I I happen to remember an incident at Steinway Hall when a pianist came to the basement to choose and play their favorite Steinway, and it wasn't there. Did that ever happen, Peter? It did. Uh, So many times that I I honestly can't remember which one you might be referring to. Now, in your diplomatic way, Peter, how did you handle something like that? I, uh, I don't remember, honestly, when I did on that occasion, but you have to come up with some kind of a compromise in some way. Uh, my, my goal was never to let that happen, however. <laughs> you would know, Peter, would you, that the characteristics of this particular piano that the artist was counting on, could you survey the others and say, well, that one's got the... Sure. Yeah? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, you can do that. You know, with the help of a great concert technician, I mean, you can, you can kind of determine which piano might closely represent the, the ideal piano in this situation. But it's up to the pianist to make that determination, ultimately. (laughs) 
it's so important that they choose the piano that is going to give them the best partnership, the best performance possible, all the practicing, all the preparation, all the work that goes into a performance. Mm-hmm. And if the piano does not support what that vision is and what that artistry is, well, it, it's, it's less than it, than it can be. So it is truly vital that yeah. they pick the right yeah. instrument, right? Sally describes so well, Mr. Steinway. You don't have to tell us because we can probably see from his illustration his beautiful face and curly hair and that smile and so forth. But Peter, what did you make of Mr. Steinway in those years that you worked with him? Well, I I thought he was fantastic. I really did. He was the face of Steinway. I mean, in, in addition to the face of Henry, our our Henry the Steinway. But he was the face of Steinway to so many people who would come in to Steinway Hall in New York, and it meant so much to people to be able to say hello to him and actually meet one of the Steinway family members. And Henry Steinway was a huge fan of our of our book. I mean, we we didn't know uh, at first what he would think about it, but he was enormously happy with the book, and I think he liked the illustrations in, <laughs> incredibly. So we were very fortunate in, in that regard. He was very supportive of, of what we were doing. I didn't know him as, as well as you. I only met him a couple of times, but I was very impressed by his, his warmth and his character. And, I mean, talk about charm. He was an incredibly charming person. And um, just going back to your question about the takeaways from this project, I think another aspect of the project is being able to work with such a, a legendary company like Steinway and to represent them in some way. a real honor, I would say. Sally, as we close, would you like to say something to each of your colleagues then? To my colleagues, to my dear, beloved friends and colleagues. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you very much, Laura. I'm so happy that we three were able to be here to talk with Erica. And I wish you were here in the studio with me so that you could feel the joy and warmth of what what it is like to be here at WVIA. Thanks so much. Of course, we're all set on radio when it comes to music and hearing things, but radio's not the best at portraying things in a visual way, although you did wonderfully in describing Henry and Anna and Molly the dog. But Sally, tell us where we can go to actually see some of these images and get a larger sense of what you all have been up to. Yes, henrythesteinway.com. And uh, we we are very excited about this because we see that as a place where music comes alive for children, and uh, we encourage everyone to please visit henrythesteinway.com. It's all all one word, henrythesteinway.com. Sally Kovaleski, a native of Scranton and graduate of Marywood, she served as the national director of institutional sales at Steinway and Sons in New York for over 25 years. Peter Goodrich also worked for Steinway for more than 25 years and was best known as the Vice President of Concert and Artist Activities Worldwide. They are co-authors of the book we've just been describing. Laura Friedman is an artist and illustrator in New York who has worked for over 20 years as exhibit developer and designer at the Yale Peabody Museum of Natural History. Sally recently returned to northeastern Pennsylvania to introduce us to Henry, Henry the Steinway, and to meet Peter and Laura by phone. Henry the Steinway and the Piano Recital was first published in 2002, now reissued 20 years later 
by GIA Publications of Chicago, GIA Publications of Chicago, selling wildly in China and selling all around the world. For more information on the web, henrythesteinway.com, henrythesteinway.com, also giamusic.com, G-I-A-M-U-S-I-C, giamusic.com. the Steinway and the Piano Recital by Sally Kobaleski and Peter Goodrich, illustrated by Laura Friedman and reissued after 20 years by GIA Publications of Chicago. HenryTheSteinway.com HenryTheSteinway.com <laughs>